What's up, everybody? Welcome to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. Still miss the air horns, I'm just saying. <laughs> I kind of do too. <laughs> like, it's just so much easier if niggas is acting right. I'm going to ask just them. stop touching shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> stop fucking with the board. We are back with another episode. We are. What's going on, Fair? I mean, you know, trying things, trying doing things, things. Trying things, doing things. What's uh, What's new? What's what's mm. the things you're trying and doing? I kind of just want to work on those for a little bit, and then you know, keep them keep them in the tuck for the now. Yeah, I just I just want to work on them. I, I don't want to because I'm always talking about things that I want to do or I'm planning to do, and then I never like do them. So I, and not that I'm not doing what you know what's going on in my life, but like I kind of just want to just do it, and then once I feel like it's at, ready for the world, then I'll. Share. Listen, that's that's how you do it. Work work behind closed doors, don't let nobody see it until you ready to release it. I got projects that I'm that I'm working on that I got the approval on some of them, but the others I won't announce yet. But I can announce the one on May 29th. We're going to do another yoga in the park event. Yeah, it's going to be at Malcolm X Park this time. Oh, it's going to be. Oh, that's right, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be dope. I, uh, do I want to do yoga in the park? I, I mean, I'm not going to do yoga in the park. I'm just going like I'm just going to be there. I'll be there in my yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to have, uh, we're going to do some yoga. I might do something else. I might do some type of either singing, dancing, or meditation, something. We're going to have some black business owners, vendors out there. So come out there and support y'all black businesses. It's going to be May 29th. Hopefully that crowd that was out there the other day <laughs> won't be blasting their 80s hip hop. Hopefully not. But we'll <laughs> see. You never know. You never know. You know, you're not Philly folks. Kid. Listen, we don't care either way. Listen. But, you know, if they if they are the more the merrier, we'll make it a vibe. That's what they <laughs> that's what the kids say nowadays. Right. It's a vibe. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, politics meets pop culture. We haven't had one in a while. Mm. Do we have anything this week? I don't think so. I feel like there's there's something that's out there. In, Again, everything the we do is pop culture and true. political. True, I, true. I can't think of anything um, like out there right now. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything either. We can go on to everything is local. You got anything for that? I got I got a couple things. Just the cleanup that's coming up in June. You always got the good ones that when we get to this segment. <laughs> I didn't do my research this week. I, that's what it really is. No, there's a couple of things that's been happening. I'm sure many of you have either saw on my Instagram or just caught the news lately. But like all of the shit that's been happening with like the victims and the family of the move bombing. Oh, yeah. Like so much. Right. Like a few weeks and ago. And that's my neighborhood. Yeah, a few weeks ago it was the Princeton, P- the Princeton and Penn okay. with the the remains that the professor you know basically held on to and used to study and shit like that. And the courses on that were actually like live courses. Yeah, <laughs> and then there was the you know health commissioner then deciding to back in 2017 it just came public that he told the coroner's office to cremate remains. From from victims of the move bombing, ultimately they ended up finding the remains. That, that didn't end up happening, but he still directed them to from the gate. So like he had to be forced to resign. It's just it's been issue after issue over over this all over the fact that like the city initially never even wanted to uh, you know issue an apology. I still feel like they should get reparations. What's yeah. your thoughts? The city is just. <laughs> It's like it's a terrorist organization. Like, how do you drop a bomb on a fucking neighborhood? Like, 
I keep trying to tell people Philly and, is a modern day Gotham or a real life Gotham City. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, I, that's the neighborhood I grew up in. So, you know, something is different about that that block specifically because the houses are different. So it's yeah. like, why are those houses different? And you don't understand. And then it's it's just it's, it's so, just fucked up. It's fucked up. And you know what's you know what's crazy about it though is. If you talk to anyone from West Philly or that has been attached to the city, they remember it or they talk about it like it's fresh. And this was in 1985. But not a lot of people outside of Philly know about this. Yeah, no, I that that was. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of those Philly things. Every city has their thing that is yeah. like in the in that city and it should be widely known and it's not. And move is definitely the Philly thing that everyone should know about and doesn't. Yeah, no, that's that's Philly's crazy ass history scarlet letter. But there's a couple of different a lot stories of like that letters. in Philly. <laughs> but you know, a lot of the other cities though, like they're you know they're widely known. And it was the on. second move incident uh, is right. a situation right. that the city just terrorized them with. Yeah, it, it's 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 kind of crazy. I wonder if you know. The, the 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 family you know any other survivors that's there will ever have any like real you know reparations done from the city so. whether that's payments whether that's something bigger than just some stupid apology that right. they half-assed didn't want to give to begin with mm -hmm. like i want i just wonder if there's ever something bigger that's going to happen if you haven't seen it already hbo it should still be up hbo has a documentary about um, the movie is called 40 Years a Prisoner, and it follows one of the Africa, it follows the Africa family and discusses one of the sons of two of the move members who were, incar who were incarcerated, his journey to free his family. Mm. So it's a, it's a great documentary. It gives you a lot, of, a lot of context of the original move situation that happened here. The move ter ter terrorism, I should say. The terrorism of the move people, not the bombing that we're talking about, but the first one. So yeah. it gives a lot of good context to that. So I definitely suggest um, if you haven't seen it to definitely check it out. I haven't I haven't checked it out yet. We might we might need to dedicate like a full episode to that. Maybe we'll like, you know, I wonder if we can ever reach out and interview someone about it. But I'm sure the Africa family would be more than happy to talk about their side of it, yeah. and not just what. They, the media and the powers that be that they want you to know. Yeah, I have to. I have to watch the HBO uh, um, special, and then maybe we'll do the reach out. We'll we'll have them on in a future episode. It's good. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then we have a special guest in the studio. I'm so excited for um, this guest. You have no idea. I know you've been. I've been teasing it for a few weeks now. Yes. Um, so I finally made it happen. We're here. Um, and so we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back with our main topic. Here at Salas Corner, I am always looking to connect with new people, hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk at salazcorner.com and we can get your story featured on our next episode. All right. Welcome back to our main topic. We have a very important guest in the studio. We do. We have like an esteemed guest. An esteemed guest. I want to tell you how esteemed you are because you got the exclusive 
entrance into the into the studio. Yes, no one <laughs> comes in that. No one comes in that way. You are like. Well, honestly, what it was is it was closest to the bathroom. They know I really needed to go, so they saw the pain <laughs> in my eyes, and they're like, "Just, just get him in. Just get him in." All right, the folks hear your voice. We have State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta here in the building. Glad to be here. Thank welcome, you. Thank welcome, welcome. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you were uh, able to, to to find time in your busy schedule because I know you you're a busy man. You are you have a number of things on your plate right now. Just, which, you know, a couple of things going on. Couple, just, just a small. couple. Of like, aren't you like? Running for something? just you know, just you know just a little run for U.S. Senate. Nothing, oh, okay, you know, nothing, nothing too big. You know, yeah. first and foremost, I would love for the people to get to know who you are yep. yes. as an individual and what got you onto this journey that you're on. So, can you talk about just you know, let's start from the basics. Where where are you from originally, and where where are your 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 background? Where does that come from? Yep. So I'm I'm from from North Philly. Born, born and raised on the playground, spent very few of my days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was not athletic. So, you know, third generation, North Philly. My, my parents divorced and I was pretty young. My dad was a social worker. My mom was trained as a CNA, was a home health care aide for most of her career, working with folks who had, you know, pretty severe physical and mental disabilities. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's what she did. And... You know, I have three three siblings who my parents my parents adopted, and then one one additional sibling, my extra sister, who was never officially adopted, but you know was a foster child for a long time with us. And so, you know, that's sort of how we 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 grew up. We grew up in a way a lot of people did on that sort of you know treadmill of poverty, right? You working, trying, but every month you're sort of patching it all together, mm-hmm. trying to figure it all out make all the pieces fit. And I learned that very early. We have, you know, an economy that is really upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it through this pandemic. If you were a billionaire, pandemic was like really good for you actually. Came out financially. like a bandit. Like like seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, added trillions of dollars they did collectively like to their wealth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas you had, you know, service workers who still are trying to get, you know, back pay for hazard pay and still trying to get a level of dignity that is commiserate with those big ass signs we saw. There's a bunch of big ass signs saying like heroes, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Okay, well, can you pay me?" I need some hero wages. I'm yeah, they was like, "Superman didn't do it for the check." <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know that's that you know that's really where we are. We see this you know the same story over and over and over again that folks who do the jobs that make all of our lives function aren't treated with the level of dignity that ought to be connected to the you know essential work that they do. And so I saw that very early on with, with my parents, how tough it was, even though they had, you know, jobs that are critical in our community. And so it sounds like your 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 parents laid a really strong foundation for you yeah. as a model of, you know, what was important, you know, life skills and things like that was important. Where'd you go to school from there? Did you go to school in Philly or yeah, I did. I went, I went to a bunch of different schools. Graduated from Roxborough, but you know we moved five times growing up. I feel like that's the Philly. Yeah. Uh, that's the Philly thing too. Like constantly moving all the time. Yeah, and you know what? And in retrospect, you know I didn't know at the time, you know what aces were these adverse childhood experiences. You know I had no idea what that what what that was. But seriously, what it does to young people to not have a level of stability in housing and stability and in, in, in knowing that 
you know, you're going to have lights. <laughs> that you'll definitely have something to eat. Those things, you know, impact us in a really negative way. And that's one of the things, you know, deep poverty, I, you know, I, first campaign I ran, that's really what it was all about and what it's still about. Because as, as I said, not only is it upside down, but we have, it's gotten harder mm-hmm. for for folks in neighborhoods like mine because we have seen the cost of things, the cost of goods skyrocket. But we've seen wages really be stagnant. And there are you know, parts of my district where the average income is under $10,000 a year. And that's just, that's amazing. You know, just think about in this country, wealthiest country that the world has ever seen, and yet we still have people who can't find stability with their housing, you know, have to ration their their insulin like my mom had to or my dad rationing his, wow. you know, his epilepsy medicine. And I lost both of them before I was 27. Mm. Wow. And so, you know, I've seen firsthand what it means when government doesn't function the way that it ought to function. And I think the way it ought to function is ought to center the needs of the people that actually make this country prosper. And it's not a couple of, you know, rich businessmen. It's all the workers who are so often faceless, nameless, and who, as I said, are are not paid, are not resourced more broadly outside of pay in a way that they ought to be. And so for me, that's what... Well, that's what politics has always been about. You know, I got into this because really I had no fucking choice, right? It's about survival. But how do we move our communities from surviving to thriving? Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's, you know, that's that's what we've been working on. It's it's we we have this recurring theme. We we were and we were just talking about this we were. too, like separate conversation away from the podcast. Yeah. That's where the real conversation. See, see, you listen, listeners, they're not giving you a real conversation. They have a separate no, non-podcast we, conversation. We have, we have very explicit conversations. Oh, yeah, no, this is, you know, no holds barred, you know. But it's I, a running theme, like it, he was it, about it's, to say. Yeah, no, it's a running theme of like, the, the what introduces so many folks, particularly black people, into this either work or activism or education around, you know, political or civic engagement is a pain point. And it's a, such it's this narrative that we we keep every time we have a new guest, we we mm-hmm. we pull that out of them, and that that you know we find that that's a recurring theme. Your history and how you got into politics aside, like what just what's your thoughts around that as being the catalyst for just you know sounds like it was for yourself, but also so many others being civically activated. Well, I'll I'll say this, you know, with all of the 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 issues we we have in this country, and they're like. We can list, we could just spend the podcast just mm-hmm. listing, you know, yeah. issues that exist. But we still are incredibly blessed yeah. when you put what's happening here in comparison. But what that means is I'm reminded all the time, and I'm like a broken record with this. And so folks listening now have heard me on something else. I'm like, Malcolm, stop saying that, but it's important. There's nothing written on some damn tablet somewhere that says America's going to be successful. Mm. Yeah, you know, but people this is think not that a mo- though. Yeah, it's not. It's not a movie. It's mm. the it's the it's the exceptionalism that we were talking we about. Talked about that yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's the it's that American ex- exceptionalism. Like we we can do whatever we want because and, so and, it's, and it's it automatically like, makes you think that we you will succeed because of X Y Z. Yeah, and you know you think about our the length. Of of our of our nation, 
we are like a baby as mm-hmm. a country in terms of just years when you relate us to other world powers that we've seen over time. And so we, we, we are babies. And so when you think about the civic engagement, part of what I hope drives folks to stay engaged is this understanding that we only have this if we do the work to keep it, that citizenship requires something of us beyond just voting. And for everybody that's not running for office, for some people it's having a podcast and talking about issues that that, that matter. But we all have a role to play in fostering a community and a country more broadly that sees everybody, that lifts folks up, and that continues the work. You know, Coretta Scott King, you know, said it, mm-hmm. said it well, that, you know, freedom is won and rewon by, by every generation. And so, you know, I see this as a continuation of our responsibility, mm-hmm. of our responsibility to criticize this, this country, but also to, con- to construct because we love this country. And we have to do it to make it better for folks so stories like mine are less common. You know, and I tell, you know, I talk about my story, my background, and some people say, oh, my God. Oh, that's a bad story. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a bad story. Yeah. And it should not exist in this country. It shouldn't exist. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you called that out as being a bad story because I think what we gravitate towards is, oh, my God, and you overcame so much. Right. Correct. It's like, but damn, like, what if I didn't have to? It's like trauma porn. <laughs> Con- it's yes. Oh, abs- absolutely. It's like, it's, it's, it's insane. Just the, the idea that, I mean, even our story, even our story is like we move from abandoned house to abandoned house. Like mm-hmm. that should not be the American reality. Right. Correct. It just should not. It shouldn't be the reality, period. But especially in America, because we are the richest nation in the world, we are the superpower. It just shouldn't be the case. I yeah. it's, 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 no, it's, you're, you're, it's you're difficult abs- to You're absolutely describe. right. And this is the, you know, this is the good news, but it's the work ahead of us, right? That it doesn't have to be the case. Mm-hmm. Right. These are policy decisions that that we haven't made. And then there are real implications to that. And so, you know, when I talk about politics, I say to folks, it's not like something fucking hypothetical that like, oh, I read a book about that sounds really bad. This is something I know in my bones, something, you know, you know, in your in your bones. But I, you know, every time I get depressed, I get so inspired by people who refuse to accept the status quo as the final answer. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately, you know, been the recurrent theme for me, that it doesn't have to be the final answer, that we can call out where we, where we are, but this is not the end of the story. And there is something so powerful about people not getting caught up in a politician. I mean, I'm so sick of that where we, you know, idolize this this one person. I tell everybody, listen, I, I want you to vote for me, but I don't need you to be a part of my cult. I don't need you to put all your hopes and dreams into me. But do put your hopes into dreams into what happens when we build coalition, mm-hmm. when we build movements that are big enough and bold enough to meet these systemic issues head on so stories like yours, stories like mine, become less and less common and that we don't have to have this this hard knock life, but that everybody in this country can live with a level of dignity. And I think that we've gotten to a place where we don't enough folks don't believe that that's possible. Some folks do believe that like you have to have some folks who are living in deep poverty for this to work. We don't. Yeah. yeah. There is plenty 
There are plenty of resources. The question is, how do we ensure that there is a floor and a level of, and I keep going back to that word, a level of dignity for everybody? Speaking of, of dignity, just a so, totally separate, and I'm going to get back to an actual question for you. You know, I just recently seen, you know, there's a lot of folks talking on social media and mm-hmm. the, the weird spaces out there about, like, people not, or, or different uh, companies, especially retail place, places, service workers, finding it hard to find a workforce because people want to just be paid to stay home because of this, right? And 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 recently, I just saw a meme that was constantly being shared about, like, this the joy of someone finding the job for the for like for for the first time in like months mm-hmm. and like the excitement on their faces and like they started dancing and i was just like i thought back to that moment of when i was out of work for an extended period and regardless of if i was able to make you know bills paid and things like that when i did finally find a job it was like damn i i did something like there was in a sense of pride and dignity like you mentioned and a sense of accomplishment that comes with that and it just you know it, it it just thrust into my mind back no people aren't just at home because they just want to be yeah and that's the same the trope government. that we've heard right. since 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 reagan anybody who's actually had to to be correct narrative. but anybody who's actually had to be on snap and you're standing at that grocery store and even if you live in a community where a bunch of people are on snap the level of Shame mm-hmm. that you feel pulling out that card, or back in the day when it was the food when stamp, it was correct? The actual, yes. And you pulling out this that book, book out and that you're book. like, mm, nobody is like, yes, yeah, that's what I want. I mean, give me a break, yeah. give me a break. And everybody knows that's nonsense. What people are saying is that the wages that we were paying folks are not enough for people to take care of their families. And so, if you are a service worker making a starvation level wage, seven bucks and 25 cents. How do you make enough to take care of your kid and get them into childcare? Yeah. I mean, childcare right now is the cost of a mortgage over the life of, of, of a child, cost of a mortgage. And so people aren't wanting to stay home because they're, they wanna get an extra 300 bucks. People are so desperate and we have not, as I said, allow wages to keep up. And so if we want to get folks back to work, we need to pay folks a a, a decent wage, ensure that every single person has access to high-quality health care. And frankly, a lot of the folks who kept us going through the pandemic never stopped working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Folks working at the grocery store and our sanitation workers who, before we even truly understood this virus, we're going into that grocery store every single day, serving folks to make sure we were fed, to sell folks too much toilet paper. Y'all never needed all that toilet paper. <laughs> I still uh, don't understand the whole toilet paper <laughs> thing. I don't get it. I and really they're at the don't. store suffering and, and afraid. Are you stacking up on all this toilet paper? I, yeah. I still don't get it. What do people do with it? I'm, my question. Uh, I'm trying I mean, to figure it out myself. I don't. That is my get biggest question out of pandemic. I'm it's trying the, to figure out this whole. Even it's the same thought process, but with the gas. Shit. I was just about to say that. Like, it's the gasoline. Why the fuck you are you getting this? all of this gas? Yeah. Gasoline like, in bags. I get it, but like, no, don't don't do that. Also, what are you going to do with the with it when We're it's in, in the a bag? fucking bag? How do you gonna get like, it back to anyway? How are you going to get it into your? That's a that's a hole that we dare not go down. And so, let, let's get I back. I saw that to, tweet and I was like, I can't. See I yeah, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't. I, 
Just I have not. other things to do. <laughs> Way more important conversations to be had, which is this one. And so I want to talk specifically, you know, the, the, the mission of this pat- platform, this podcast is mm-hmm. to find folks, particularly folks who don't feel like the system, civic engagement is doing anything for them see it as important to engage with it, regardless of whether or not they vote or take the census or all of those types of things, right? I just got my jury duty notice in the card card uh, in the mail today, whether they not they show up for jury duty, right? And so as, as an elected official who's been serving Philadelphia, who's from Philadelphia, what can you do and what has you, your office been doing? And especially as you look and vie for, for higher office to do to not just engage that disenfranchised or unengaged demographic or that's to have faith in the system, but also, you know, bring them in and their thoughts and their passions to, to find solutions to the problems that they know they have and they, that they know exist, but can't connect it to the civic engagement. Yeah. So what I say to folks is, is, is two things, right? First, I want to acknowledge the fact that the system doesn't work for a lot of people. Doesn't work. And so I want to be real in acknowledging that that lack of trust is grounded in something that's real. But I say it particularly to young people. I say, you know, say, oh, I don't do politics. Well, politics does you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you engage does not make you immune to the end result of the decisions that are made on your behalf. Yeah. And so we, we, we find this really nasty chicken or the egg situation is the system broken because it's irrevocably broken? Or is the system broken because enough of us haven't understood that we are the system? Mm. So when you talk about the they and, and the, this, this always this mystic they, you're a part of the they. Yeah. And when folks decide to be bystanders to their government and their democracy, what they invite is a level of disrespect that they continually receive. And... The last thing I'll say is when you say that, oh, well, you know, them and those politicians, whatever, a part of what you're doing is giving away your power. Mm. You're giving away your power. You think about this municipal election we're about to have tomorrow. Yeah. The turnout is going to be low. It's going to be low. And we're about to decide tomorrow who the district attorney will be. We're going to decide tomorrow Judges who are going to be on the bench for 10 years, folks who will be empowered to take your property, to literally take your right of mobility, your freedom, (laughs) to take your physical freedom. And you have a lot of folks who are like, oh, well, you know, I just voted a couple of months ago. I don't need to vote anymore. And so it's one of those things where and I'm going to mangle this quote from 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 Plato. But he says, you know, when you don't engage your penance is you get to be ruled by your inferiors. Hmm. The folks who don't give a damn, the folks who are fine with everything as it is, those folks show up every election. They show up. In a lot of cases, some of these folks are running for office. Some of the people I work with, I'm like, wow, I need that level of confidence <laughs> because you're a fool. <laughs> yeah. But they were like, yeah, I ought to be in office. Like, no, you should not be. Yeah. <laughs> you should be near nothing. But we have to we have to do both. We have to acknowledge the historic harms that create that level of apathy, but also we have to acknowledge that our apathy 
is a part of how those historic harms are allowed to continue. Mm, yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. And so when it comes to, you know, let's let's talk specifics then with with engaging that, you know, I, I I've talked to different city council members. We've had them on the podcast. I've talked to different state reps and state senators and, you know, folks, you know, not just on the podcast, but outside of, you know, outside of this platform. And a lot of folks agree and say those same things, but they don't do. Right. And so what makes you different? It's this is what I believe. What I believe is that we need to have folks who run for office, first of all, who look like the country. Folks that reflect the fullness of the American experience. And I don't just mean that in terms of being black, but people who've had a wide variety of different experiences. Because a part of it is it's really difficult, particularly for young people, to be something you can't see. And it's really difficult to get invested in something when you don't hear a story that sounds similar to your story being told. And so that's a that's a part of it. But I reject unequivocally the notion that the folks who are elected to office are the end-all, be-all of our civic society. And that if, if we, and it's why I said we give away our power, when we say, well, everything that happens in my community is the result of what my state rep are doing or my council person is doing or not doing, a part of what that does is to say, you know, they have my, my, my power. Some of the most impactful people in our nation's history have never been elected to a damn thing. Mm-hmm. I've never been elected to a damn thing. And so I can name one in particular. You can name a, a bunch. <laughs> that, that we, we all know, but anyway. You can name a bunch <laughs> who have never been elected to anything. And so elected officials, that's one part of it. But when I talk about that coalition that's big enough and bold enough, in my mind, that coalition doesn't center the elected official. It's like, you know, you think about, you know, a football team. It's mm-hmm. not just the quarterback. And we've seen a lot of teams not do well because you've got one star player and you're like, who the hell, where are the rest of the folks doing? That's not how we're going to be successful. And particularly when you have folks say, well, you know, this person who I like, they got elected. You know, just I'm, I'm done. I voted for you. You're right. good. See you later. I'll see you in a couple of years and you'll fix all the problems. Like, no, no. Listen, I think me being elected is important. But if the folks who are feeding people in their community say, well, Malcolm's in, I don't have to feed anybody anymore. Or folks who are community activists are saying, well, you know, I don't have to write no petitions anymore or call elected officials. Like, I'm, I'm done. Somebody I like got in there. That's not how we find sustainable change. You know, you can draw a direct line from this quick story when I was 11 years old to now. I was 11, living on this block, Woodstock Street. And I came home and I was, you know, complaining to my mom about the stuff on the block. And... You know, usually I take out the cuss words, but I'm leaving it in today. <laughs> you know, that is completely fine with us. So we, we drop a lot of F-bombs. All right, good. <laughs> so, so she said, you know what? If you care so fucking much, why don't you go do something about it? She didn't say call your elected official. She didn't say call the streets department. She said, if you care so much, why don't you go do something about it? And it's that voice. And for me, it was my mom directly. But it's that voice we all have. And just think about it. You know, you're walking down the street, you see something on the on the ground that you want to pick up. That is, you know, for, for, for me, I come from a Christian faith tradition, but it doesn't matter what your tradition is. That is whatever you believe, speaking something into you 
that you're supposed to have a role in. And so voting is one part of a full of a fully balanced civic diet. Mm. It's one part of it. And it's incumbent upon folks to recognize that. You you talked a lot about the this coalition, right? Like working with a coalition to actually mm-hmm. affect you know, structural systemic change in, you know, let's just talk about Philadelphia, right? And so what does that coalition look like for you? What what types of organizations, things, what what is that comprised of when you talk about that coalition building? It's comprised of folks who understand that we can be better than this, that we can be better than this. And I think about the summer, the murder of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. We passed four bills around reforming our police. Now, are there more bills we need to pass? Hell yeah. But let me explain how those bills got passed. They didn't get passed. And these bills didn't get introduced, mind you, because this tragedy occurred. These bills had existed, mm-hmm. right? So a, a good state rep had run for office, one introduced a good bill. That bill was not being moved. In some instances, you know, a couple of the ideas had been around for multiple sessions. And just kind never of got a hearing, Right? Just table never not even table not even brought up okay they brought on the damn table um how did that happen yes you had myself and members of the black caucus who very much in the spirit of Fannie Lou Hamer and John Lewis held a sit-in on the speaker's rostrum and said we're not moving until you move some piece of legislation that can help make folks safe yes that was a part of it but a big part of what happened is we saw protests in 61 of 67 counties Mm-hmm. 61 of 67 counties. To do that in Pennsylvania, that's tough to get 61 counties doing something. But that's what drove it. And there was so much pressure in the streets from a lot of different folks. Folks in organized labor, folks who are a part of activist organizations, but also just people who aren't a part of any official organization, but who were driven to say, I want the country and the city that I live in, to be better than this, to be better than this. And they used their voices. They used their feet. They wrote letters. They made phone calls. And that allowed important reforms to begin the process of moving. Now, there were other bills that we wanted to move and that we thought were important to move. But there's not the same energy in the streets at this moment. And so the question becomes, how do we build a coalition that's not just activated around an election or just activated around a tragedy, but that is self-sustained around a vision of our community where every single person feels safe? Can you talk a little bit about that legislation that ended up being successful? Yeah, it was, it was four different bills that got moved into, into two bills did things around a database around folks in law enforcement who've done the wrong thing because, you know, right now somebody can be let go of a department, go to another department very easily. And so this would allow an actual uh, database that when you go to hire an officer that has been in another precinct who has violations, that there's a red flag. And if a department chooses to still hire that person, they have to say why they hired that person in light of these these red flags. This was a bill, you know, that we think about Antoine Rose in, in Pittsburgh. That officer had a history of misconduct and yet was put on 
another force. And so that's 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 one of the things. We also did things around dealing with additional training. We also did things with looking at how we begin to really em- empower civilian oversight at a, at a at a local at a local level. And then there's there's one more bill that I'm that I'm forgetting right now. But these things were a direct result of the pressure that was inside the building, but also the pressure that was outside the building. I tell you, you know, folks say, oh, well, my vote doesn't matter. I just want to try it. Let's just have one election where we all come out. Let's just try it. Let's just try it and see what happens. Because we've never even actually tried it. No. And we said it doesn't work. We never tried it. And so let's just try it once. We can do it next year when I run for Senate. Let's all try it. <laughs> we'll just try it once and let's see what happens. It's a, you know, it's a, it's I a good experiment. I think that's a great idea. You know what I mean? Why not? I love give, that idea. Give it a go. Why not? Why not? So let, let's, you know, you brought it up. Let's go there now. Uh, let's talk about your, your Senate run. You know, what, what makes you different than some of the other candidates? What are some things that you are for that you think Pennsylvania needs and could mm-hmm. use from you if you got into the Senate? Yeah, so this country, as I said before, we are at an inflection point. It's not the first time we've found ourselves here. And if history is any guide, it's not going to be the last time we found ourselves here. But what we've always seen, you know, you pick a movement. What you've always seen is young people, new generation of leaders really rising up to address some of these systemic challenges. My grandfather, Muhammad Kenyatta, was a civil rights activist, ran for mayor Philly in 1975. His, his wife, who's my last surviving grandparent, my grandma Mary, is like not an emotional person. If you know her, I've never not known her to be. She's like on it. But she she called me, I guess, a year or so ago, you know, almost crying. I'm like, Grandma, what's going on? And she said, you know, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because you're talking about some of the same stuff we were talking about in the 60s and 70s. She was like, I thought we had fixed some of this stuff. And here you are talking about the same things. And so I got in this race in part because I refuse to have to have that conversation with my grandkids. Mm-hmm. I refuse to have to have that conversation. And so a part of what we need to do and a part of what we're building a coalition to do is to build a community and to build a state that sees and values all of us. And what does that look like? It looks like fully funded schools with us making the deep long-term investments in Title I schools, our lowest economic, lowest performing schools making sy- systemic, big investments. It looks like taking things like the child care tax credit and the expansion of EITC, which is giving folks an extra 300 bucks um, a month starting July 15, mm-hmm. making programs like that permanent. Mm-hmm. So that, that childhood poverty rate, which this program analysts believe can cut child poverty in half, right. that we can make those gains long term. It means treating housing as an actual human right and having a tax policy and also inclusionary zoning policies that allow us to build our communities in a robust and inclusive way. It means ensuring that every single community is a community of choice where there is fresh air for you to breathe, fresh water for you to drink dealing with the existential threat of climate change while also creating a bunch of good-paying, union, green energy jobs along the way. It means doing something about crushing student loan debt that has made it impossible for people to start 
a family and really build a family. It means creating a culture and creating systems in which terms like medical debt don't exist. Mm -hmm. Medical debt, number one reason you see folks going into bankruptcy. We shouldn't want to live in a country where there exists a such thing as folks going bankrupt because they, they, they got sick. It means doing something common sense about the gun violence that we've seen in our community. I have a bill that I've been pushing out for multiple sessions because we know a lot of the folks in my community who have been victims of a gun homicide, those folks have lost their lives at the hand of an illegal gun. The person who took their life had a gun that was not registered to them. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how do we stop that, that flow and, and supply? And we can go on and on and on, but I think Imagine a world where stories like ours are not common and where a young person's destiny is not decided from the day that they're born based on where they were born, right. but that every single community is a place where folks can thrive and build neighborhoods for everybody. I know that it's in our capacity to do it, but a part of how we do it is we have to change the folks who are in power. You know, when folks say, oh, I don't like what the, you know, if you don't like the direction of a car, the issue is not the car. The issue is who's driving the damn car. So the right. issue is not, is not our democracy. The issue is whether or not we have folks in there who represent us. And we shouldn't be shocked when a majority of the folks who are members of Congress are millionaires. We shouldn't be shocked that they're not prioritizing these issues that we've been talking about today. So a couple questions for mm -hmm. you. I won't say they're rapid fire, but you mm -hmm. can certainly feel free to answer them quickly as, as, mm -hmm. as you like. You, you know, you mentioned about, you know, picking up on that last point, you know, a bunch of people that's sitting in the Senate are millionaires. Would you take, you know, big uh, donations from large corporations? I don't. No, I haven't. <laughs> what would you support a, a student loan forgiveness uh, program? I've been talking about needing to you know, cancel student debt. And what we need to start is doing the 50,000, which would help about 80 plus percent of all borrowers right now. And I believe that the president has the executive authority to to do that. And I'm, you know, heartened that he's asked the secretary of education to look at that. And I really hope that they come back with the answer that we all know that the president has the ability with a stroke of a pen to do that and to make, you know, the, the recovery that we're that we're seeing make it sustainable. And that's why I talked about the child care tax credit, for example, and making the expansions of these programs permanent because we cannot. And that's implicit in what the, the president said in his campaign. We can't just build back to where we were. Normal wasn't really working. We have to build back to a place that is bigger and bolder um, than we ever are, than, than, than it's ever been. Excuse me. What's your stance on either expansion of the Affordable Care Act or Medicare for All? You know, I think we need to get to Medicare for All, but I think that there are a lot of things that we can do on the way. We know that, you know, what the president has supported and what he said he would sign, you know, is a, is a public option. We know that there's a bill right now that would drop the Medicare enrollment age. There are things that we can do right now to help with prescription drug prices, to help with medical debt, as I said. There are things that we can do right now to build up and fortify um, our public health in a way that 
I'm talking about telemedicine, particularly for rural communities. And so when we talk about the jobs plan and building out broadband, yes, that's about getting on the the internet to watch funny cat videos or whatever your thing is. Surf YouTube or whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, that's also about you being able to go to the doctor on telemedicine, and that is a necessity. But it's also about us making sure that there's a real pipeline, particularly of people of color going into STEM fields, particularly, you know, into the medical field. Because when we think about the amount of black women in particular, the infant mortality rate and and the amount of black women who we've lost, the mortality, the maternity mortality crisis, on, on both of those things, these are things that we can do right now. And so what I'm about is making sure that every single person has health care and whatever comes on the floor of the Senate that gives more people health care, I'm voting for that. I'm voting for that because I know exactly what it means to not have health care. Would you support, I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this question, but just for folks who are listening in, uh, supporting a ban on assault rifles and was, would there be additional action you would take to curtail either gun violence or a better system of accountability for, for gun purchases? So yes, on, on, on assault rifles. And we saw, you know, in the 90s, there was great data that that actually worked, but also it's about limiting the capacity of magazines. It's also about doing something about lost and stolen guns. But when we talk about gun violence, we have to get out of only talking about gun homicide. Mm-hmm. The main way folks are dying by suicide is also through with a firearm. And I'm on the governor's suicide prevention task force. And so doing something like extreme risk protection orders, when we know that somebody is a risk to themselves or others, that we can take those weapons away from them. Because particularly when you think about folks who feel so 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 desperate or have other things going on that would give them the type of suicidal ideations that that lead to the pain that so many families have dealt with losing a loved one in that way. What you need to do is that means reduction. And so we've seen that done with bridges. If you have a bridge where a lot of folks have gone and died by suicide at that bridge, they put up a gate. And what that gate does is give folks time and space from the means that they would use to potentially, you know, no longer be with us. And so we have to be really smart about using some of the targeted, you know, things that I just mentioned that don't take away folks' right to have a weapon, but that also allow us to have reasonable restrictions that the Supreme Court and just reading the damn amendment said. Would you mm-hmm. be in support of I feel like Farah has a question, but no, I'm going go I'm go going ahead. I'm going to ask you this really quickly. Mm-hmm. Would you be in support of declaring gun violence and mental health coming out of this pandemic a public health crisis? So we already have a, a resolution in the house um calling gun violence a public health crisis. I also have a resolution that would designate poverty as a public health crisis, and that's not just about symbolism. Let's just have a resolution saying this thing is bad. But allowing it to be categorized as a health crisis allows us to put additional resources um, to bear. We've done it with the opioid crisis at the state level. The governor declared uh, it a uh, public health crisis, declared actually an an emergency. We need to do the same thing with gun violence and with with poverty. You mentioned the the judiciary and the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court. This isn't something that Democrats have been historically focused on, but now it's becoming much more mainstream to to focus on and talk about. But how do you support expansion of the Supreme Court? Yeah, we we have to. We have to because 
what what we've seen is really eroding folks faith and, and trust in our in our democracy and we we saw it particularly with mayor garland where the the the, the rules in the plain language of the constitution was ignored was completely ignored and so it's not to be clear, it's not just about the Supreme Court. It's also looking at our, our district and appellate courts. And we need to potentially a- a expand there as well. What is your stance on the filibuster? Get rid of the filibuster. Point blank. Majority <laughs> rules. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I just, you know, the filibuster is not sacred, but I think the right to vote is sacred. Yeah. Right. And are we going to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act with the filibuster? Yes or no? The answer is no. And so on... A variety of the things that we've discussed, for me, the question is, are we going to do something for people who really need us to do something or not? Period. And anything that stands in the way of that, I want to fucking get rid of. Because there are people who desperately need us to do something. The filibuster has been used throughout the course of history to block progress for communities of color, for women, for marginalized groups. And it really, at this point, has served as one of the most consistent barriers to us building that, that world that I talked about, where everybody lives in neighborhoods, where people are safe, healthy, and whole. Got anything? N- not off the top of my head. Okay. My, I guess my, my you know, to, to, to round this around here, you know, bring us to a close, if, you know, what what can you say to those that are listening in out there who don't know who you are, you know, Philly or Pennsylvania residents or just, you know, not really looking that far ahead into what's happening in the Senate next year? What are what what can you this is give you the floor to be able to speak to those to those folks? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is go to MalcolmKenyatta.com. And so you find a lot of find a lot of information there. But more importantly, what I would say is if we're going to get from where we are to where we need to go, we need people who understand in their bones what's broken. And not because a staffer briefed them on it, not because they got a list of talking points from a a fancy consultant, but because they lived it, because they experienced it, because they are collateral damage to our refusal to meet these issues head on. And I fundamentally believe that we need an actual working person in the U.S. Senate. Got my first gig at the age of 12, washing dishes, helped my mom keep the lights on. As I said earlier, moved five different times growing up. I went to a failing school. I live in a community right now where gun violence is the norm. I know what it means when government doesn't work, and I also know what people who are hurting need. And... As I said, I don't need people to get caught up in me, but I do want them to get caught up in building a coalition that meets these challenges head on. And we have an opportunity to do that and to make some incredible history along the way, electing, well, wouldn't even be election, really really nine, because we've had some black folks in the Senate who haven't been actually elected. They've been appointed as a result of a vacancy but actually having the 12th black person ever in the U.S. Senate. Ever. Having the second millennial in the U.S. Senate. We have more octogenarians than, than millennials. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. 
whether it's climate change or gun violence or student loans or health care or housing, we have to meet the future. We have to meet it and meet it with bold solutions that actually lift people up. And that's what this campaign is about. And so if you've felt ignored and forgotten, this is your campaign. State Representative Malcolm Kiata, Farrah, you got anything else? I'm just really happy that you're here. Like, I'm so happy to be I'm here. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm just so happy. Thank you so much for coming happy and to sitting do down it. with us. Happy to do it. Too. Yeah, it's 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 really appreciated. You speak to a lot of things that we talk about a lot on the on the podcast, and you know, we we try to to connect that with our listeners, and you know, folks, you know, see me on the street sometimes, and actually, I'm I'm starting to get like. A little famous, famous man. People <laughs> recognize me on the street for the podcast. No, but this so is. Thank a- you for having me on, seriously, and thank you for using your platform. You know, in the in, in the way that you have to talk to people about what's at stake, not just in terms of does this person get elected or that person get elected, but these things have real impacts on what happens in people's lives, mm-hmm. in their real, actual lives, and so you doing this and continuing this conversation is really important. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I do it because I'm a nerd mostly, but because I also grew up that way and I want to make sure the next person doesn't. So Malcolm Kenyatta, go to MalcolmKenyatta.com to learn more. Thank you. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you All so right. much. Hey, everybody. I know throughout this pandemic, everyone has been saying we're all in this together. Well, here at Salas Corner, I want to really hear from you and what you're enduring during this pandemic. Give us a call and leave us a voice memo and we'll play that on our next episode of Salas Corner. That number is 267-225-5891. Share with me your thoughts, your feelings, things that you're doing to survive during this pandemic. And you'll get your memo featured on the next episode of Salas Corner. All right, we are back. Um, how do you feel about that interview? I That was awesome. I mean, I, I think it was great. I'm, I'm biased. I'm extremely biased, but I thought it was a I thought it was a great interview. I felt like I feel like this was one of the few times where I've seen a politician a question asked of them and they actually provided an answer. Yeah, that wasn't because I'm a good interviewer. No. <laughs> I'm giving all the credit to him. <laughs> Doing exactly what he told me not to do. You did. He <laughs> but said yeah, girls. but no, he didn't say that. <laughs> No, but seriously, though, I thought it was great. Like, you don't he was very relatable and real and just himself. And I appreciated that. I thought it was awesome. What do do you think? It's hard for me to judge because I'm doing the interview. I will say that. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not a journalist or an interviewer. So (laughs) I have a completely different take on this. I I would say that, you know, it's his story will connect with a lot of folks. And, you know. The, the passion in which he talked about things and mm-hmm. changing things and the importance of not just seeing someone in your that looks like you holding that type of office, but also the, the point of like the, the, the struggle and the, the upbringing where he came from. Right is what you also need into that office and not just, you know, your typical 65, 70-year-old white man. And so I think a lot of folks will, will gravitate towards that. And so just to be make this a fair platform 
you know, we will definitely be reaching out to the other candidates that are running or for Or if Senate. you're listening or if anyone who knows them is Feel listening. Feel free to get in like, contact with us. Um, let, let, I would love to come and convince me. So we, you know? uh, the other folks that's going to be running for Senate is at the moment is John Fetterman, our Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor. At the moment, Sharif Street is running an exploratory committee, which means he's probably going to run. But we'll reach out and see if we can get them on the podcast. We want to make this a fair platform and give you all that information on who to vote for and and don't forget the woman val arkush val arkush yes thank you and val arkush yes we will reach out to all of those candidates to give a well-rounded understanding of we haven't done that before had every candidate who's running for office i mean i think that'd be pretty dope if they came we already have we set the standard already so they might as well come and convince me come and convince me that's what i'm trying to say like Come and get my vote. That's what I'm going to reach out and say. Like, y'all need to come get Vera's vote because Malcolm Kenyatta got it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's time for Whack Ass of the Week. Whack Ass of the Week. Who you got? Who you got, Vera? Okay. For my pick for Whack Ass of the Week is the state of Israel. Just like they, they, they out here bombing folks and killing people and occupying the Palestinians. Land. Like, they're just fucking trash. Benjamin Netanyahu is a fucked up ass individual. They bombed. Okay, so they're they said that they were bombing Hamas underground tunnels, but what happened this weekend was they bombed one of these tunnels supposedly, and it was close to a residential area and multiple buildings collapsed in the area and killed 40 people, and they were mostly women and children. So for me, the the Israeli occupation gets whack ass of the fucking week yeah that's a that's a good one however <laughs> i have a, a a different one my whack ass of the week is a former police officer and swat team member richard nicoletti okay. he uh just had a judge release all charges for pepper spraying protesters on 676 last summer during all of the uprisings in philly however this is also the same officer who shot and killed jeffrey dennis on a complete botched stop if you haven't seen it it is i've posted it regularly on social media but this officer is just all around trash not just for the killing of jeffrey dennis which was just a insane tragedy but also you know he's shown that he's willing to just you know do whatever and he literally was had people with their hands up on 676 and was just spraying them with pepper spray a judge dismissed that case and our current district attorney larry krasner said he's going to continue pursue charges yeah so just to just to also give you back around on uh, this 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 character Richard Nicoletti, he also uh, so in this 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 crazy killing of Jeffrey Dennis, he pulls up to this car, and the guy it's an unmarked police car, it's a regular car. The guy Jeffrey Dennis doesn't know what's happening, and he goes the car pulls up in front of him, blocks a one way street, so he starts to back up. Another car pulls up around him. Behind him, I, I know you know what I'm talking about. I know about, exactly right? what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and they pursue to start smashing the windows, telling him to get out of the car. No one identifies themselves as a police officer. No one is in uniform. He, by all appearance, when you watch the video, it looks like it is a mob style attack. He goes to pull his car away to drive away, and Richard Nicoletti opens fire and kills Jeffrey Dennis. And so. 
Richard Nicoletti has been trashed for a while. This was back in 2019 that this took place. And in 2020, that. he's still doing trash stuff. Pepper Spring protesters. So Richard Nicoletti gets my whack ass of the week. He's definitely whack as fuck. Yeah. Make sure you guys head over to the IG stories. Vote for whack ass of the week as always. Vote for mine though. Any, any clothes? Well, everybody is. It's Everyone is whack ass of the week, but exactly. one is more whacker than the other. Any closing remarks for her? Support black women. Vote. Yeah, that's it. All right. Salah's Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly. It is a space for creative individuals. It features. Bleh. <laughs> I don't know what's happening today. Can't talk. <laughs> Salas Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly. It is a space for creative individuals. It's produced by Raina the Great and features my co-host sister, Farrah. Hair flip. Hair flip indeed, y'all. Um, make lock sure flip. you uh, lock flip. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's still hair. You can still say hair but flip. But specifically like lock flip. <laughs> All right, make sure you guys rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way that others can hear this platform. Make sure you share our content as well. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, peace, y'all.